Good morning. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to warn you right now, I'm going to be bouncing all over the place today. It is great to be with you today. See a lot of friends. I always enjoy coming back. Always, just now anymore, I'm intimidated coming here just because my son preached here and everybody loved him. Now I feel like I, every time I come, I you know, I got to live up to my son. Not really, but such a blessing. It was actually one of the greatest moments of my life to see my son uh, up here preaching because he's a math major. And uh, I don't think he understands fully what God could do with him in many different realms of life. Um, I was just telling Brother Rick, uh, the Lord's going to send him to Guam tomorrow uh, to teach for a couple of months. So if you think about it, we pray for David. As he goes to Guam, he's going to it's a new experience for him, and uh, uh, he's never really traveled overseas on a 14-hour flight. <laughs> so he's a little uh, full of anxiety today and, and so forth. So if you would pray for him, I'd appreciate that. Um, I uh, really appreciate the song selections this morning. I really prayed knowing the circumstances of the church and, and um, you know what did the Lord want this morning. And uh, so the song selections this morning have actually gone right along with the theme that is going to weave back into our message this morning. Uh, I wished I had all the answers for you, as Brother Tom said, you have some things to pray about in the upcoming days. The most encouraging thing I can probably tell you this morning is nobody cares more about this church than God. And God will do what he needs to do, even though we may not like exactly all the decisions that have to be made. um, We have no idea what God's up to. No idea. And we're just going to have to trust him with that. And I will pray along with you that God will lead you and direct you and direct your paths. And that he, most of all, will be glorified through all the transition. I, I love uh, Brock and his family. They've been a blessing to me personally. And we've certainly missed them in these parts. But uh, um, God has not forgotten this church. And he loves you and he loves this, his, his glory through this church. So excited what God's going to do in the future. Um, years ago, about 2007 to be exact, I was serving the Lord down in uh, the wilds of North Carolina. I was on an emergency response team. And we got a call that our neighbors, um, we lived in a very wooded area, um, very, very wilderness area, and our neighbors up the road uh, that bordered our property had a forest fire going. A electrical line had been struck by lightning and um, there was a fire going on, which affects us because if they have a fire, we can have a fire. And my, my partner and I, Bill, we quickly donned our uh, wildland firefighting equipment and ran up the road. And when we got there, we saw that the fire department had already been there. And standing there was a house. And trees and bushes that were standing within four or five feet had all been scorched. And uh, the house miraculously had not been burned. It was an amazing thing. We learned later that this fire had raced up the hill like an inferno. They said when the fire department got there, there was 15, 20 feet high flames just racing up the hill. And uh, they were able somehow to protect this house and keep it from from being destroyed. And, And within a few hours of getting on scene, and uh, establishing fire lines and so forth, the fire was basically out. And this was one of the first fires I'd ever been on. And, and uh, in fact, uh, a little side note, I was out doing a, making a line with Bill and 
the helicopter came over and it was getting ready to drop water and all the other firefighters are like groaning and like complaining and I'm thinking this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me <laughs> you know water's gonna drop on me from the helicopter anyways uh, we're out there we got that we got it all under control but what really surprised me was that for the next 48 hours straight there were crews on that fire even though you could not see one flame because that fire was so hot and so intense, it caught the stumps on fire and burned down into the roots. You guys have probably heard of that before. There are fires in Colorado that have never been extinguished. They burn forever underground where people can't get to them. And I, as I began to think about that, it just amazed me that, that that kept on going. And as I thought about that, it correlated it to the Christian life. Because many times we have issues, maybe sin areas of temptation that come into our life, and uh, we, as soon as we identify them, we see this big fire and we attack them, which we should. And the fire seems to go out, but it never seems to go away. It seems like the thing just keeps popping up, like little spot fires. And I think the reason is, is that oftentimes we do deal with the, the big problem, but we don't go down to see the root of the problem. And so that's what we're going to try to do today, to dig a little bit deeper. And I'm going to give you three statements today, so hopefully you can follow with me. I try to keep things simple because that's the way I have to think. <laughs> I'm a country boy from the cornfields of Illinois, and I have to think very, very simplistically to keep my brain in mind. So hopefully those will help you. So when we talk some, I want, to, I want to give you three statements. Here's your statement number one. My biggest problem is sin. Now, most of you are thinking, <laughs> that's a no-brainer. My biggest problem is sin. Well, some people think that their biggest problem is an action. Some of the campers that come to camp think their biggest problem is a person or a parent. But my, really, my biggest problem is my sin. And what is sin? We all know that sin is anytime I disobey God or when I don't believe in his character. Isaiah 52 says our iniquities have separated us between us and our God. Not anything else. It's our sin that separates us between God. Here in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, I, I think it's easy to read over this. And, and, and many of you have read this passage. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God. Now, stop and think about that. We don't like to think that our God is a, is a wrathful God. But make no mistake, our God is angry. And what is he angry at? He is angry is, and he has revealed the anger from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God hates sin. It... I don't know, I grew up in a Christian home. I got saved when I was five or six years old. You kind of get used to the Christian life sometimes. And you kind of get, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I sinned. God will forgive that. But let's step back this morning and remember that God hates sin. It's not like God's like, oh, frustrated at our sin. No, God hates it. And someday his wrath is going to be poured out on all unrighteousness, all ungodliness, and all evil men and women will be separated from him forever in an awful place that was never created for humans. 
That's coming. And God in his mercy poured all of his wrath on his son on a cross that he didn't deserve so that you and I could be forgiven and not have to endure that wrath. Make no mistake about it, our God is a God of wrath. He hates sin. Sin must be punished. And there's only two people that can be that can take care of your sin and be punished for your sin, either you or Jesus. That's an amazing statement. It's an amazing statement, number one, because there is a God of just justice. And we don't like to think about it in our society doesn't like to think about that. But what's also amazing about that is that God in his mercy poured out all of that wrath on his son as a free gift for us. Now, I know that I'm probably speaking to the choir, but all of us should be here to worship this morning and saying inside, hallelujah. <laughs> what a blessing. What a savior. I hope this morning you have joy in your salvation. But nonetheless, it is written that there is none righteous, not even one of us, even though those who've been saved most of our lives, and there's none of us who are righteous, for all have sinned, and we've all come short of God's glory. So what does that mean? That means that my biggest problem and your biggest problem is sin. Now, obviously, I hope there's nobody in this room today that has never received the gift of God of salvation. But if you haven't, your sin is going to cause you an eternal separation from God. There is no bigger problem that any human could ever entertain than that problem, that you are separated from God. And it is our joy and our blessing to tell everyone that we know about this wonderful gift that God has given to all of us. And if you are a believer this morning, sin is still your biggest problem. It's not your wife, it's not your husband, it's not your children, it's not your boss, it's not, it's not your church situation. Your biggest problem is your sin. Every year I, uh, I get the privilege of working with a program called CIT. It's Camper and Training. It's a two-week intensive program. Sleep some smiles for some people who've been through that program. And uh, it's intensive. And one of the joys I get is I get, I get a handful of teenagers that I get to sit down and eyeball for about 30 minutes and just ask them, hey, what's going on in your life? One of the questions I ask them is, so tell me, what are the top three sins? What are the three sins that you find yourself confessing to God most often? And these teenagers are not just, you know, whoever we drag in off. These are, these are kids who have gone through a nine-page application. They have to demonstrate they have some desire to follow God. And you know what the an average answer is? Uh, we get a casual approach to sin because we know God's going to forgive. And we sometimes lose the ability to be specific about our sins. In Psalm 139, what does that psalmist say? Search me, O God. Open me up. Look inside. By the way, what does verse 1 say? Verse 1 of Psalm 139, Thou hast known me, thou hast searched me. So the psalmist isn't asking God to search him because God doesn't already know. The psalmist is asking to be searched so that he can know what's displeasing to God. I find it interesting if I were to ask some of my heroes in my life, people that I think are most closely related to God, 
if I asked them, tell me the three top sins that you find yourself confessing to God, it'd probably take them three nanoseconds. Oh, man, I, I struggle with this, and I just I struggle with this, and I just have to keep confessing to God about this area of sin of my life. Why? Because they're so close to God, they see even the smallest infraction as a big deal. Is it possible that as we sit here this morning that we have gotten used to sin and that we have failed to realize that sin really is a big deal to God? I would invite you again this morning to open your heart and ask God to search your heart and to know you and to see if there be any wicked way in you and to lead you then in the way everlasting. If I were to ask you to do that, in fact, let's just play that game for a second. Three top sins. Don't, I'm not asking for testimonies. We're not passing around the microphone, okay? Three top sins that you find yourself confessing. I want you to keep that list in your mind as we go through the rest of the sermon. Because statement number one is, my biggest problem is my sin. But not, statement number two is, my biggest sin problem is, and I'm now about to tell you what your biggest sin problem is. No, I haven't been reading your emails. and No, I haven't been chasing you on Facebook or anywhere else. The reason I know your biggest sin problem is because it's also mine. Because my biggest sin problem is unbelief. Now, some of you might be a little bit surprised by that. Because we oftentimes view our sin as an action. But that's not what the Bible teaches. John 16, 8, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, why is God going to reprove the world of sin? Because they believe not on me. Jesus died, rose again, went to meet his disciples. Mark 16 records, and afterwards he appeared to the eleven as they sat at meat, and he upbraided them, he scolded them. Why did he scold his disciples? Because they left him in the garden. Nope. Because they ran away in fear. Nope. He upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. The thing that Jesus was most concerned about was the fact that they didn't believe what he had told them. Luke 24 And he said to them, the religious leaders, O oh, you fools and slow of heart, to Believe all that the prophets have spoken. Romans 14, 23. He that doubts is damned if he eat because he doesn't eat of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. All right. If we had time, we could, we could all go to Rome, or Genesis chapter 3. Scroll in your mind to Genesis 3, chapter 3. What happened in Genesis chapter 3? I know. Trick question on Sunday morning, right? Genesis chapter 3. Serpent. Here we find the first recorded words of Satan. What are the first recorded words of Satan? Can anyone remember? That is exactly right. Yea, hath God said. What was he doing? He put a question mark where God had put a period. He did, and by the way, we think of Adam and Eve, the big sin, they ate of the fruit. Uh Uh-uh, that wasn't their big sin. 
their first sin was the fact that they chose not to believe God. Satan did not show up to Eve and say, hey, eat this. No. The first thing he did is he attacked her belief system. Did God really say that? Sure, come on, surely God didn't say that. God doesn't expect that. Can I tell you that Satan has not changed one of his tactics since? He always attacks our belief system first because the way you and I act will always stem from what we believe. Does God really expect you to... Did God really say not to do that? Is God really able to do what he said he can do? You know, you can cut that corner at work. It's that little sin. It's not that big a deal. God really doesn't care, does he? He is constantly tempting us with questions, getting us to choose to believe that our way is better than God's way. Actions always demonstrate belief. And this is where we hit the big flame. We put out the big fire. But really what's smoldering underneath is the fact that you and I have not dealt with the cause of the big flame. And I'm not saying we shouldn't attack problems and hit them hard and but we can't stop when we feel like we've got the big fight. We've got to go down deeper and understand and explore what is it about God that I choose not to believe? What is it about what God has said that I choose not to believe that causes this big problem in my life? Every day you and I are, we come to what I call choice points. You're going down the road of life, everything's going great, and all of a sudden there's a decision in front of you. It could be a decision to tell that little white lie so that you're not embarrassed, so you don't get in trouble. There could be the decision about whether you're going to look at something to lust after it. It could be a decision about whether you're going to degrade someone, gossip about them. We have decisions all the time, every day. Before this day is done, all of us will face multiple decisions in which we will have to decide what are we going to do here. We call them temptations. The word temptation is simply the word test. We're being tested. And what's being tested? Our faith. Will we remain faithful? And that's what we've sung about today. Faithful means we are full of faith. We live out our commitment by faith in what we say we believe. So as we go down the road of life and we're faced with a temptation, we're faced with a test, we're at a point of decision, oftentimes I forget to think about what has God said about this choice I'm about to make? What does God have to say about this area? And what does God's character say about this? Whenever we choose to sin, we slap God in the face because we've denied what he has said and we've denied who he is. That is why when we spend time in the word, we need to know who is God and what did he say? What did he say about me? What did he say about my problems? What did he say about my temptations? What did he say about himself? Who is God? What did he say? And as we come to these choice points in our life, 
we then can say, okay, this is what God is. God has already spoken about how I'm supposed to. And God backs that up by who he is. Did you know that each one of the Ten Commandments is rooted in one of God's characteristics? These are not ten random rules that God just decided to come up with. Each one of the Ten Commandments is linked to who he is. So God has spoken and he has, he has, he has backed it up by who he is. You shall have no other gods before me. God is supreme. He is also sufficient. God is also a jealous God. No other gods before me. Keep the Sabbath. You know what the Sabbath reveals? That God is a God of wisdom. Because we need the Sabbath. We need to rest. And God knew that. And he's good. And he's sovereign. Honor your parents. God is a God of wisdom and order and structure. He's also omniscient. He is good. Thou shalt not kill. God is merciful. He is forgiving. He is a God of grace. And God is the creator. So every one of God's commands is backed by his character. So every time I sin, I disobey who, who he is and what he has said. So point number one was my biggest problem is sin and my biggest sin problem is my unbelief. If you're struggling here today with a particular sin area in your life, maybe you need to dive a little deeper to figure out what is it about God and what is it about what God has said that you are choosing on a regular basis not to believe? Oftentimes for us, it's not a choice of being ignorant. We ignore it. Now, there are times we are ignorant of who, who is God, what he has said, so we need to study. I find for me, I have known God for a long time, and it's not the fact that I don't know. It's, choose, it's because I'm choosing to ignore it. If you were to go back to your list that I asked you to create in your mind of your top three, are all three of those sins, actions, something you do with your eyes, your hands, your feet, your mouth? Have you tied your biggest three sins to an area of unbelief? If we really want to have victory in our life, if we really want to move forward, I really think we need to go deeper and discover what is it about God that I don't believe because my biggest sin problem is my unbelief. How does that work? Well, step back from your sin and begin to identify what specifically has God said in his word about that sin. That's usually the easy part. For those of us who've been around Christianity a while, we can usually spell out all kinds of verses that God says, don't do this or do this. It's the other part that's the hardest part. Who is God? Do you remember when Joseph was being tempted by Potiphar's wife? Do you remember? Would you remember what he said? What was it? What did he say when Potiphar's wife was tempting him? How can I do this? Do you know he didn't even have a Bible? He didn't know verses about the omnipresence of God. But yet he knew. He knew that God was watching. He knew who God was and he knew what he was about, what was being tempted in front of him would displease God. You and I are much further advanced actually than Joseph. We have a copy of the very words of God in front of us. 
and yet uh, we could go through all kinds of Bible illustrations, by the way. This is actually a fun exercise. Study Moses, study Daniel, study Paul. What is it that they believed about God that, that made them do what they did? Not just, not just commands, but who was God? And, and oftentimes the Bible tells us exactly what they believed. Hebrews is filled with that, Hebrews chapter 11. What they believed about God and how it translated into action. So if you're having problems with an action in your life, go back and start seeing where the unbelief comes in and where you should start becoming a more faithful person in that particular area. Now, any good evangelist will have the invitation right there. But I don't think that's where we need to stop today because that's not where God wants us to stop. My biggest problem is sin. My biggest, my biggest sin problem is unbelief. But you know what that means, thirdly? My biggest opportunity in life is to believe God. Did you realize that? The greatest opportunity you have in this world is to believe God. You know what excites me about that? This requires no great talents. This requires no great abilities. This doesn't even require good health. You know what it requires? Me to make choices to believe God, who he is and what he has said. It doesn't matter if I am in pain or in pleasure. It doesn't matter if I have great abilities or no abilities. All of us in this room have the opportunity to believe God. Look what God has to say about this. I just, I love this. Um, Habakkuk, I know this is probably where you were spending your time this week. You spent all, <laughs> I know you don't read Habakkuk probably very often, but Habakkuk's got some great stuff. Chapter two, verse four. Behold his soul, he's talking about the Babylonians, is puffed up, he's all prideful. Babylonians thought they were gonna rule the world forever. They dominated Israel and punished them. And it was tempting for those going into slavery for those 70 years to say, we will never make it. God says, but the just shall live by his faith. And what was the faith then? That God had already said, you're going to be punished for 70 years, but I'm going to bring you back. That was what was going to keep them alive for 70 years. The promise that God would bring them back. The just, the righteous people are going to be the ones who will live by the faith in what God has said, that God would restore the nation of Israel. Paul quotes this, and the writer, I believe it's the writer of Hebrews quotes this, that the just shall live by his faith. This is nothing new for us. We are to live by our faith. This is a great, great truth. But God has other things to say. Now, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence, the conviction of things not yet seen. That's what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11, I just absolutely love this verse, verse 6. But without faith, it is improbable. Unlikely. No. It's what? Impossible. Turn that thing back up around his head. With faith, it is possible to please him. Okay, this melts me down. 
I'm a skinny little redheaded kid from the cornfields of Illinois to think that I could actually please God with my life? As a teenager, I thought I had nothing to offer God. Zero. The thing that absolutely turned me upside down is when I stopped thinking about who I was and started recognizing who he was and that I didn't have to have great abilities. I didn't have to great, have great talents. I didn't have to have a great musical voice. I didn't have to be able to play a stringed instrument. All I had to do is just let God and believe God. I remember there was a day that I needed to get right with God. And I just simply told God, I don't know what you could ever do with this. But that choice isn't mine anymore. I'm just going to let you do. And what there is here, you can have all of it. I haven't lived that out perfectly. Don't get me wrong there. But that was a life-changing moment when I got my eyes off my talents and lack of abilities and just said, God, I'm going to live by faith. You can do whatever you want. I know some of you feel like you're not even sure what you can do for the Lord anymore. But I want you to know every one of us in this room can do something for the Lord. And that is simply believe him. Do what he says. Honor him. Worship him. Tell others about him. We all can do these things. Every single one of us can do that. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. But with faith, it is possible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Every one of us in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, can do that. Romans 4.3, for what saith the scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him righteousness. It wasn't that he acted for God, he believed God. 2 Timothy 1.12, for which cause I suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Let's just make a quick note. The biggest enemy of faith is pride. When I view my problems in a way that says, I don't, I don't care what you're thinking, God. I think my way is better than yours. I think this solution is better. That's an enemy. That's fighting against faith. And we have to watch out because that's exactly what Satan's big problem was. Living by faith means choosing to believe that what, has God, what God has said in every decision of life. That's both temptation, but also every other decision in life. That's not a temptation. You and I can do this. We can be faithful. We can be people full of faith. This morning, if you're, you're here and you're not a believer, maybe you've acted like one, I just want you to know your biggest problem is sin and that is a very expensive price tag. But you don't have to pay it because Jesus did. And he invites you to put your faith and trust in him. I would guess that most of you in this room are believers today. I want to remind you that your biggest problem is still sin. And your biggest sin problem is your unbelief. But you have a wonderful, wonderful, huge opportunity in front of you to believe God. No special qualifications required. Just you choosing to believe who is God and what has he said. 
I guess we are all like firefighters. We need to dig down a little deeper. I was amazed at the amount of hours that it took to dig out all those roots, stumps. And I find that oftentimes I struggle to want to put the time and the effort in to dig out my own stumps and roots that need to be addressed in my life. This morning I believe that God's calling all of us to do that though, to put that effort. I, I wish that God just, you know, would give us a little fairy dust and kind of sprinkle us and float us along in our Christian life, but God doesn't do that. He has a book full of promises and principles, but he requires our participation. This morning, will you participate in what God is doing? Will you dig down deeper? Will you put your faith and trust in him, not just for salvation, but for everyday sanctification as well? Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for loving us enough to give your son. That is just an amazing, amazing, astounding thing that you've done. I thank you for the forgiveness that we find. I thank you for writing everything we needed to know down in a book. It's amazing that you'd give us a whole book, an autobiography of yourself. We don't even have to guess what pleases you because you wrote it all out and you illustrated it for us. It's an amazing thing that you've done for us. And yet we oftentimes stray. We oftentimes think our plans are better than yours. Please forgive us when we do that. If there's some here this morning that are struggling because perhaps they are doing that, perhaps they're going their own way, perhaps they feel hopeless, maybe they feel trapped, I pray that they will return back to your words to find out what you have said about who you are and about their problems. I pray that we would all choose to put our faith and our trust in Jesus, not just to save us from eternity of punishment, but to also help us to walk in a way that pleases you. It's totally possible because you said it was. Thank you for these, these things that you've taught us this morning. Help us to live them out. I do pray for this church. It is your church. It's your lighthouse. It's your place that you receive glory. I have no idea what the next few steps will be for this church, but I know that you are the one most concerned about it. And so I pray that you'll bless these, these folks as they, they come together. May you give them unity. May you give them wisdom. May you give them very specific guidance. May you glorify yourself. Make yourself look good by the way in which you will bring um, this church into the order it needs to be, another pastor, whatever you choose. May you give glory to yourself in a way that only you can do that. I pray that your fingerprints will be all over this and that we'll be able to look back and give you praise and glory for how you have chosen to work at Village Chapel Baptist. And we're going to give you all the praise and glory for how you do that. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name and through your name. Amen.